All right, Rabbi Osai, good morning. Let us, let us begin. Baksha, beautiful daf ahead of us today. Beautiful daf ahead of us today. I want to begin by thanking all of our sponsors, our Tamatora sponsors for the month of Tishrei. Dr. Linda Weinberg, Saren Ricky Gratz, Julia, Rina, and Eve, in loving memory of husband, father, Zayda, Dr. Paul Weinberg, Perez, Moshe, Ben, Avram. To thank Ayal Steinberg, Ayal and Sarah Steinberg for dedicating Sherman this month from the source of Rafur Shalima. Rishulamis Bas Susha and Adam Yudit Benzev for dedicating the Shurim this month and the schos of all of our tefillos being Niskabel. So we'll say with that, let us begin. We also must take note. Today is the yard site of Rabbi Levi Yitzhak of Berdichev, Zechusa Yagin Alino, the Rebbe who is known for so many things, but chiefly amongst them. His incredible and overwhelming Avas Yisrael, love of every single Jew, no matter who and what they were, we should be Zochemir Sashem to internalize this beautiful lesson of the Rebbe. If we have some time at the end, which is highly unlikely, but if we have some time at the end, Emir Sashem, maybe we'll share a little bit of Torah of the Rebbe. And we'll say, but with that, let us begin. So today's Daf is Kof Bav 106, and we are picking up on Kof Hey Amadez 105b. We left off, we left off. Um, a Maymar. Great. So we'll say in the wide lines, in the wide lines, two, four, six, eight lines in, in the wide lines. So remember again, the topic over here the Gemara was discussing was the power of Shochad, the negative power of Shochad. How again, truth is to be more specific, the Gemara is focusing on over here how the concept of bribery does not just apply to monetary gifts, but could also apply to other non-monetary items as well. So Amemar, Havi Yosef Vekadoin Dina. Amemar was going ahead and judging a particular case. So what happened? Parach Gat Fa'areshe, a feather fell on his head. Aso Gavra Shakle, right? Ultimately, a man came over and removed the feather from... Better? Okay. I also move it closer. I'm realizing it's a little bit closer. Okay. So the Gemara says, so, so, uh, so a man came ahead, a man went ahead and removed the feather. So Amemar says, no, what are you doing? What are you doing? So Amemar Dina Islay. So the man said, oh, I happen to have a dintora in your basin. So Amemar Pasilna Lachaladina. Amemar said, I can no longer, I can no longer adjudicate the case for you. So the says, so again, so once again, Amemar felt that that small, that small favor, Right, that small tova, that small act of kindness, biased Amemar in this in this particular litigant's favor, and would compromise the effectiveness of the din. So we'll say. So once again, we're going to see a number of these types of examples, and the Musar Haskel, the lesson always always the same, which is how easily susceptible we are to outside influences. We like to think that we're strong. We like to think that we can resist. But at the end of the day, we are so incredibly susceptible that even the smallest tova, even the smallest favor has the ability to bias us. And again, here the example is in terms of favors. But Lamaisa, but Lamaisa, it applies to so many different things that we're susceptible to outside influences. Marukva, havashadei roka kamei. Marukva, there was saliva, spit, on the ground in front of him, Asu Gavra Kasye, a man came along and covered it up for him. Once again, Amar Ukva said, No, so what are you doing? Right? What are you doing? Amarle Dina Isle. So the man says, Listen, I have a din Torah in your basin. Amarle Pasilna Lecha Ladina. 
it wasn't letting me sign into Zoom. It sent Jeremy uh, an email or something. I don't know. So I could just stop trying. I'm at a point in my life where if something doesn't work technologically, I just stop trying. Hey, so the Gemara says as follows. So therefore, ultimately, again, I am possible. I am not allowed to go ahead and adjudicate this case for you. Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Yossi, Avaragil, Arisei, so it was an interesting case. Rabbi Shabbiosi had a sharecropper. Rabbi said the way this used to work with the sharecropper is that the sharecropper used to bring him a basket of fruit every Erev Shabbos. That's what he brought him every Erev Shabbos. Rabbi said that wasn't a gift. That was payment. That was payment. That, that, was, that was the lease arrangement. So what happened? So Gemara says, um, I'm not a Shabbos, I can't say the berry. Yomachad, I said, hey, Shabbos, one day the sharecropper brought it to him on a Thursday. On a Thursday. So, so, the, so, so Rabbi Yossi says to the, excuse me, Rabbi Shmuel Yossi says to the sharecropper, what's going on? Why are you bringing the basket of fruit now? said, ah, I have a din Torah today, said with you, so I figured on my way to the base din, I would drop off the basket of fruit. All right. So lo kabel mine. So first of all, Bishon Yossi wouldn't accept the basket of fruit from him. And furthermore, he said, I'm not allowed to adjudicate your case because now I am effectively, I am effectively biased in this situation. So we'll say, so listen to this. So Osiv Zuzay Drabanam. So therefore, Bishon Yossi went ahead and established another set. He went ahead and he established a, he or he, he appointed another set of Rabbanim to adjudicate the case. The Kaidina lay, the Kaidainon lay. So let's listen to this. So let's say this is incredible. So what happens? So remember, Rabbi Shmuel refuses the gift. That's number one. Number two, he appoints a different group of Rabbanim to go ahead and, to go ahead and adjudicate the case. As he's listening to the Dayanim adjudicate the case, what is he saying to himself? He's saying, ah, this litigant, now he's referring, when he says this litigant, he's referring to a sharecropper. This guy could tighten like this, and this guy could tighten like this, and if he made this claim, it would be so compelling. See, in his mind, in his mind, what's happening? He's advocating, he's advocating for the sharecropper. He's advocating for the sharecropper. So Rabbi Shalriyos, he says like this, he says, Amar, Literally again, the 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 souls, right? The the heart, the hearts of those who accept bribes should decay, which is a klala. In other words, a punishment should come upon those who accept bribes. Umaani shalona talti. says, you know what? I didn't even accept the bribe. I didn't even accept the bribe. And the imnatalti, had I accepted the basket of fruit, shalina talti. I would have, that, that was mine, by the way, right? The basket of fruit wasn't a bride. Well, so remember again, what did the basket of fruit represent? What was it? It was the wage, right? It was the lease payment. So I would have accepted that which rightfully belonged to me. Certainly, so, so again, and yet I would have influenced. So he says, listen, I didn't accept it. And had I accepted the basket of fruit again, it wouldn't have been a bribe. That was rightfully due to me. And yet, look how much it influenced me. A judge who does accept an actual bribe, how difficult and virtually impossible it is for him to adjudicate correctly. Incredible. 
A particular man brought him shearings, first shearings of, of a sheep. I will say that belongs to the Kohen. Reishis Agaz goes to the Kohen. Amrle, Mehecha Atzer, Shabbat doesn't recognize the guy. He says, Who are you? Where are you from? Amrle, Miduch Plan. I'm from so and so place. So the Gemara says, Ome Hasam Lahacha Lahav a coin, Lemisfile. So Shabbat Duch Plan was far away. So Shabbat says to him, says to him, Tell me, there's no coin? Between here and there, that you could have brought this to you, slapped, you slapped the shearings all the way to me. So the guy says, ah, now that you ask, Amrale Dina Isli, the truth is, I have a Din Torah in your basin. And I figured the truth is, on my way to the basin, I would bring you the first shearings. Amrale Pasina Lechaladina, Rabbi Shobalisha said, I can no longer adjudicate this case for you. I am, I am possible. I'm not allowed to go ahead and adjudicate. I'm biased. So lo kabul mine. Furthermore, Barlisha did not accept the shearings. Instead, Barlisha goes ahead and sets up, right? He appoints two other Rabbanim to go and adjudicate the case. And they're adjudicating it. So Rabbi Shmal Barlisha is there. He's listening to the case. So And he finds himself in his mind coming up with the arguments on behalf of this guy, advocating for this guy. So same thing. So says, you see from here how terribly powerful a bribe is and how a bribe ultimately goes ahead and slants. It fundamentally blinds the eyes of the judge. Rabbi says, I didn't even, I didn't accept the bribe. I, I didn't accept the bribe. And had I accepted it, right? It was mine. I'm a Kohen. I'm entitled to this. And yet you see how, how much it impaired my ability to be impartial. All the more so, those who accept actual bribery, how difficult and virtually impossible it is for them to adjudicate cases properly. So both say, so once, so let's go back there. So Anan. I see Leahu Gavra Kansa de Gildoni, de Begili. Rav Anan once had a guy who brought him a basket of small fish. Basket of small fish. So Armale, Maya Veritech. So Rav Anan once again says to the guy, Tell me, what, what brings you here? They should bring me this basket of fish. Armale, Dina Isli. So the man said to Rav Anan, I have a din Torah in your basin. Lo Kabamine, Rav Anan did not accept the fish. Right? And furthermore, he said to the man, I am unable to adjudicate your case. I'm biased, I can't adjudicate. So the man says back to Rabbanan, that's fine, you don't have to adjudicate my case. But Kabuli Likbal Mar, beautiful. The man says to Rabbanan, that's fine, don't adjudicate my case, but can you please accept my gift? Please accept my gift. Because if you don't accept my gift, it will prevent me from offering Bikurim. First fruit, first fruit. This sign about saying that why is a gift to Ravanan called Bikurim? The Sanya, the Ish Bami Bal Shalisha, the Yaveli Isha Lakim says Bikurim Esrib Lechamisaurim the Carmel, Bitsiklono. So we'll say so the Navi describes over here a gift brought to Elisha, and it calls the gift of the twenty loaves of bread Bikurim. 
was Elisha wasn't a Kohen, Rabbi Elisha wasn't a Kohen, so therefore the gift to him wasn't called Bikurim. So, why, so what wasn't because why would it call it Bikurim? It's to teach us that whoever brings a gift to a Tamut Chacham, it's as if he's bringing Bikurim. Let's say such a, just, just a beautiful idea that giving a gift to a Tamut Chacham, being Mefarne, sustaining a Tamut Chacham, is the equivalent of going ahead and bringing Bikurim to the Beis HaMikdash. So therefore, this man says to Ravanan, this man says to Ravanan, so I was like, by the way, what's the connection between a gift to a Tamut Chacham and Bikurim? So just on a basic level, on a basic level, what's the whole Hashkafa of Bikurim? Why does the farmer have to bring first fruit? Because bringing first fruit ultimately highlights the idea that what you have doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Hashem. The gift to a Tamut Chacham says that just like, okay, so what I have doesn't belong to me, that's fine. So then what am I supposed to do with it? And the idea of it is I'm supposed to use it to help others. Specifically, I'm supposed to use what I have in the support of Torah. I'm supposed to use my material wealth to, uh, to, to enable the proliferation of spirituality. And the Talmud Chacham is one who ultimately, again, is there to proliferate spirituality amongst the masses. That's his job. And therefore, Halacha Lamaisa, giving a gift to a Talmud Chacham is Ki'ilu, one is bringing Bikurim. A very beautiful idea. So therefore, the guy says to Ravanan, that's fine, don't adjudicate my case. Don't adjudicate my case, but please accept my gift. So I'm like, Kabuli loba inan de akbel. Hashta da amrit li taima mikablina. Ravanan said, the truth is, I wasn't going to accept your gift, but now that you told me your reasoning, that giving a gift to a tamt chacham is like offering a bikurim, then I'll accept it. Okay, but obviously Ravanan was not going to adjudicate the case. Shadri the kamid Rav Nachman. So he sent this guy to Rav Nachman to have his case adjudicated. So shalachle, nedaine marla hai gavra. So, and he sent it with the message, Sir Nachman, can you do me a favor, adjudicate this case, because I, Rav, Anan, are disqualified from adjudicating the case. And I will say, now this is very interesting. Shmamina, Sadiqmar says, Amar, Amar, Rav Nachman said, Shmamina, Krivehu. So, Krivehu. The boss is interesting. Shravanan says, Shravanachman, do me a favor, adjudicate this case because I am possible to adjudicate this case. Now, he doesn't tell Ravnachman why he's possible. So it's interesting. What does Ravnachman assume? Ravnachman assumes that the reason Ravanan is possible is because Ravanan is related to the guy. Because the truth is, if you think about it, like a relative is not allowed to adjudicate the case of a, of a, of a relative. So that, that, that's like the most common. So that's what he figured. Ravanan didn't say why. So Rav Nachman assumed, oh, this guy must be the relative of Ravanan. Now watch what happens. Watch what happens. So in the docket of Rav Nachman's court, he had the following. There was a case involving orphans. Involving orphans. And I will say, Bipashtos, in a state case, there's something involving orphans in the docket. So now the question Rav Nachman had to deal with was what? Which case should I deal with first? The Yisomim case or this guy who Rav Anan sent to me? Amar, type of Kovov, Amar, Hayaseh, the Hayaseh. They both say there's always a mitzvah da'oraisa upon the judge to adjudicate a case correctly. Rashi says, Ushvatatem Tzedek. You shall judge righteously. So there is always a dinda oraisa upon, upon, upon a judge to adjudicate the case correctly. Hayase, the Hayase. Asay, the Kavatora. Adif, 
So we'll say, obviously, the Asayev Kavotar, but in Ravanan's case, so going ahead and adjudicating the case of his relative is giving, is giving honor to a Talmud Chacham. And therefore, again, Rav Nachman said, we should probably adjudicate that case first. So the Gemara says, what happened? So they set aside the Yisomim case and they bumped up, they bumped up the, the case of this guy. So what happened? So what happened? Now, we'll say this is incredible. So what happened? So now, so now we'll, the, the, we'll call the fish guy, right? The fish guy and his fellow litigants walk into Beisdin, and now they see that they've been bumped up to the front of the docket. So I will say what happened? The fish guy's litigant who felt that now, obviously, the fish guy is receiving preferential treatment by the court of, of Rav Nachman, and therefore he felt unable to properly advance his case. So I'll say, isn't this incredible? So what ended up happening over here is, is a dramatic misunderstanding, right? So remember again, Ravanan sends the case to Rav Nachman because he accepted a gift from the fish guy, from the fish guy, right? He doesn't tell, say, he tells Rav Nachman, you adjudicate this case, I can't. Rav Nachman assumes there we have the mistake. Rav Nachman assumes that the reason why Rav Anan can't adjudicate is because the guy is his relative. Because the guy is his relative, Rav Anan bumps their case up to the top of the docket. The litigant, the other litigant, feels that now the fish guy is receiving preferential treatment. And as a result, he felt, he felt, what's the word? Not overwhelmed, but um, intimidated. Thank you. He felt intimidated and therefore was unable to properly advance his particular, his particular claims. And Bepashtos, he lost. Bepashtos, he lost. So I will say, now listen to this. The Gemara now is, we're going to see that Ravanan was held responsible for not properly explaining what the situation, not Rav Nachman was held responsible, right? Rav Nachman just operated based on what he thought. Ravanan was held responsible because Halach Lamaisi did not properly frame to Rav Nachman what was going on over here. So watch this. Ravanan, Havaragil Elio de Asigabe. I will say, Ravanan, this is incredible. You used to learn with Elio Hanavi. Can you imagine such a Chavrusa shaft? You used to learn with Elio Hanavi. Incredible. Dahavi Masnile, Seder Elio. The boss said, there is, there is what's called in, in Torah a concept called Seder Elio. We'll explain that more in just a bit, but it's a compilation of teachings that Elio Hanavi gave over to Ravanan. But once Ravanan did this, Nebuchadnezzar did, did, did this was he went ahead and inadvertently undermined, undermined this case. Remember, how did he undermine the case? By not fully, see say sometimes in life, sometimes in life, right? We make mistakes by what we say. And sometimes in life we make mistakes by what we don't say, right? In other words, here, Rav Anan, Rav Anan passed, he, he, he went ahead and he sent the case over to Rav Nachman and he did not fully explain what it was that was going on over here. As a result, Rav Nachman just assumed that Yucatan Rav Nachman also made a mistake. That's true, that's true. But the burden was, the real, not burden, but the responsibility was upon Rav Anan to fully articulate what was unfolding over here. So as a result, so remember again, so therefore, Rav Anan used to live Navi. So what happened? Kevan da Avid Hachi, once this episode occurred, and now there was a miscarriage of justice, and the miscarriage of justice was really the responsibility of Rav Anan, Istalik. Eliyahu Navi stopped coming. Eliyahu Navi stopped coming to visit him, to learn with him. 
So Yasabatani, so by Rachmin. So Ravanan fasted, he davened for Yanavi to come back. Vaasa. And Elio came back. Kiyasa, when he did come back, have a lady Usei. So so I will say it's interesting. When he did come back, it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. And Rav Anan was scared to be in the direct presence of Elia Navi. So what did he do? Va'avetivusa Yosef Kameh. But say, literally means he made himself a box. And he sat inside of the box. The idea is he made a mechitza. Right? He made a partition so that he was not directly in the presence of Elia Hanavi. But rather, again, he was there able to learn with him, but wasn't directly in his presence. Yosef Kameh Adda'apik Le'Sidre. Vahinu Da'amri, Seidr Elia Rabba, Seidr Elia Zuta. It was actually incredible. So in the teachings that, that Elia Hanavi gave to Ravanan, there are actually two sections. There's what's called Seder Eliyahu Rabbah. That's the section of Halachos that Rav Anan learned from Eliyahu Hanavi prior to the judicial incident. And then there's Seder Eliyahu Zuta, which is the, which literally, again, the order of Eliyahu, the smaller order of Eliyahu. That's, what, that's when Rav Anan learned with Eliyahu Hanavi after this incident. I will say it's such, it's such an incredible, such an incredible lesson that understand what's happening over here. Rav Anan is indirectly responsible for the fact that another Jew was harmed. Was, right? that, that, that's what's unfolding over here. So remember again, when does Elia Navi come to you? Elia Navi comes to you if you're exceptionally makbin and you're bin adam lechavero. If you're very makbin, if you're very careful how you treat other Jews, but the moment that another Jew suffers because of something you did, even though it was totally inadvertent, Elionavi says, I don't need to spend my time coming to the Shabbosay. Again, like I said before, very apropos for the fact that it's the Arsite of our lady Yitzhak Abreditchev. Because again, the, the Rebbe was so makbid again on, on how you treat another Jew, how you love another Jew, how you take care of the feelings of another Jew. So here, Rav Anan has this Chavrus with Elionavi, but you did something that inadvertently impacted another Jew. You're held responsible for that. So Elia Navi does, you're not, you're not going to have the Chavrus of the Navi for that. Ah, you're going to die, you're going to do tshuva. It's also, once you become a person who negatively impacts other people, that leaves a residual impact on who and what you are. Signal Ravanan Davins, and Elia Navi comes back, he doesn't come back in the same way. It's not the same afterwards. I will say how careful we have to be in our interpersonal behavior, not just for how we advertently or intentionally impact other Jews, but even how we inadvertently impact other Jews. The Mar goes weiter. Pushayin Rav Yosef Havarischa. In the years of Rav Yosef, there was divine, divine anger. They will say divine anger ultimately again means there was a famine. Amrali Rabbanal Rav Yosef, Libay Mar Rachami. Rabbi said, Rav Yosef, Davin, Davin for us. Amraluhu, Hashta, Uma Elisha, Tichi Havarabanan, Miftri Mikame, Havu Paishi, Tre Alfi. Umas, umasan, rabbanan, bi'idan, bi'idan, rizkola, haver, bai, rachami. So let's listen to this. So we obviously said to him, listen, Elisha was much greater, right? Elisha Navi. Elisha Navi, when people would leave, right? When the Talmudim would leave the base in Edrish, there were still 2,200 people left behind. So vast were the Talmudim and those dependent on Elisha, and even when they would get up from the base Medrash, there were 2,200 people left behind. And yet, when it was a time of divine wrath, a time of famine, Elisha wouldn't have. And as I said, the idea being that sometimes when the Midas Hadin is so acute, 
when the, when the attribute of divine justice is so intense, it may not be the right time to supplicate. It may not be the right time to ask for compassion. Sa'ana ibay rachami, I should ask for compassion. But how do you know that when Elisha, when his tamidim left the base Medrash, there were still 2,200 dependents before Elisha left in the base Medrash to chesev. So this was a very interesting case. So this was in the middle of famine. Right? And I was talking about over here, in Malachim Beis, where there was famine in Eretz Yisrael. So Vayom Risharso, so the attendant of Elisha said to Elisha, Ma'etein zeh, how should I give this? Now, say, the Gemara is actually linking back to the Pasuk that the Gemara quoted at the end of Kofhamid Beis, where the Gemara discusses that Elisha was given 20 loaves of barley bread to sustain all of his disciples. 20 loaves. So the Gemara says that Elisha's attendant says to him, what am I going to do with these 20 loaves? Lifnei mea ish. My lifnei mea ish. What does it mean 20 loaves in front of 100 people? If you say it means literally 20 loaves in front of 100 people, 20 loaves in front of 100 people, that's great. Right? 20 loaves for 100 people in a time of famine? That's fantastic. No, rather what it must mean, it was 20 loaves for fright. 20 loaves, each loaf in front of 100 people. So we'll say, t- giving us ultimately, again, telling us the number of people who ultimately had to be sustained by Elisha. When the Talmudim would leave, the yeshiva of Rav, the Beis Rav, there were still 1,200 Talmudim Chachamim left. And I was about to say, even when Shir was over, and people leave the Beis Medjish, there were still 1,200 people left behind. So vast with the Talmudim of Rav. When the students of Rav Huna would leave the base Medrash, there were 800 Rabbanim who were still left in the base Medrash. He was to listen to this, Gemara. This is incredible. So Rav Huna, Rav Huna had so many Tamidim, right? Had so many Tamidim that when he would give a share, he had three Amorim, three, three spokespeople, right? Three Maturgamans, right? Who would go ahead and explain the share to everyone. After the shear, when the Rabbanim would get up and leave the base Majish, right? So we'll say, remember, Tamidim were often sitting on the ground. So when Rafuna finished giving shear and they got up, what would everybody do when they got up? They would dust off, they would dust off their cloak. Listen to this. Havusalik Afka, the dust would rise, the Kasi Leyoma. And literally, it would cover the sun. And as well say, like Kivyachal, there'd be a dust storm. There'd be a dust storm. So many Tamidim did Rafuna have that when they would get up from the shear and just shake out, shake out their jacket, shake out their cloak, literally again the sun would be obscured. And as say, this was in Bavel. This was in Bavel. And ultimately again they would see this in Eretz Yisrael and they would say, Ah, Rafuna the Babylonian just finished giving shear. Just finished giving shear. I will say, there's a lot of beautiful metaphorical meaning in this as well. We're not going to get into this now. But I'll just point out, I will say, just imagine the beauty of it. Imagine the beauty of it. I will say, it's interesting because today, you know, in today's day and age, when we think about like massive numbers of followers, so we think about like, oh, this person has like a big online following, right? That, which, which is fantastic. Now let's say, but just understand the imagery that the Gemara is highlighting is online following is fantastic, 
But I will say just, again, imagine, imagine being amongst throngs of people. I will say, I remember when I was in Eretz Yisrael, a couple of times ago, my boys were learning in the mirror, and they were in Rav Asher's shir. And Rav Asher's shir in the mirror, there are, there are now about 900 Talmidim. So I went with Shir to them. It's in a basement in, uh, in, in one of the buildings of the Mir Yeshiva. And again, if you could imagine just a, a massive room, literally, literally filled wall to wall with Tamidim, going into the stairwell, going into the stairwell. It's, it's, I didn't understand the word of the Shir, but I'm saying like, like it, it, it's incredible just to see, just to see what it looks like to have throngs of Talmidi Chachamim or aspiring Talmidi Chachamim listening to Torah Bosei, I have to say, like, it, it, it's, it's something overwhelming. I'm just saying, so different because today we're like, oh, you know, 5,000 people watch this, 3 million people turn in this. That, that's fine. But everyone's in their living room. That's fantastic. There's a beauty that I think we miss. I don't know that we necessarily have it today in the same or appreciation for it of just a lot of people in one space all soaking in Kedusha. So here, this imagery, this imagery, I will say, there's a lot of examples. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, the Gemara says, during the Regalim, used to go ahead and give shear in the shade of the walls of the Beis Amikdash because there was no, there was no, there was no Beis Medrash that was capable of going ahead and containing all of them in one space. Rav Huna, they're getting up, they dust off their cloaks and literally, I don't know, literally, figuratively, you can't see the sun. You can't see the sun. How do I wish to be to see such a thing? When again, when, when the students would leave the yeshiva of Rabban Rav Yosef, there would be 400 Rabbanon left in the base medrash. They called themselves orphans. They felt orphaned from the rest of the group. When the Rabbanon leave the house with the yeshiva of Abaye, they say the idea over here is that Jumar is trying to highlight how many beautiful Tamidim each of these Rabbanim had. That even when Shir was over and people left the base Madrash, there was still a significant contingent ultimately left. I will say, I'll just tell you something amazing also. It's fascinating to hear that when Shir was over, there'd be some left in the base Madrash, and those left in the base Madrash called themselves Yisomim. Orphans, Sira said, when you're not part of the Chevra, when you're not part of the Chabura, when you're not part of the collective, you're a Yasm. You're an orphan. What it means to be a Yid is not to live on the periphery. What it means to be a Yid is not just, to, okay, I have a small Chevra. This, this, this is what I. No, what it means to be a Jew is that you're part of something so much bigger than yourself. And if you're not part of something so much bigger, if you live on the periphery, you live on the margins, you just go ahead and have, you're part of something much so much, you don't avail yourself of being part of a tzibur, being part of a kid, being part of, then you're orphaned. You're orphaned because you're missing out on something so incredibly beautiful. See, even though you had hundreds of people left in the base medrash, there's hundreds left. But when the real, when the, when the primary group left, we're orphaned. We're orphaned from being part of the chabura. So incredible. So I'm going to be say switching gears a little bit over here. Those individuals has an interesting job. Their job was to check animals, for, for carbonic animals, for mumin. It was a job. And obviously in the times of the Beis a full-time job. Who paid the salary? So obviously the Beis paid the salary. Where did the salary come from? Trumas Alishka. The Beis is Machzis HaShakel. 
It came from the half shekel collections. Okay, I'm Rav Yudam Shmuel. Who taught the laws of Shechita to the Kohanim? They were also employed by the Beis Hamikdash. Where did their salary come from? Their salary came from also the half shekel. So Tamdi Chamim who went ahead and taught the laws of Kmitza, right? again, Karben Mincha. Cohen only goes in and scoops up with his three middle fingers, has to shave off the sides, right? So that was a skill. So the Tamdi Chamu taught the Kohanim the skills, Notlin Scharan Mitrumas Halishka. Ultimately, again, they would go ahead and get paid from the Machsir. I was thinking about this Gemara last night. Gave me a lot of chizuk. Because I was saying, these people don't have to be Kohanim, right? The Talmud Chamim who go ahead and, who go ahead and, Teach Shrita or teach Kamitsa don't have to be Kohanim. So I was thinking about this. For those of us, for those of us who suffer from profound and ongoing Kohanic envy, right? I, I am chief amongst them, right? If I had one thing I would love to, more than anything, to be a Kohen, I realize this is our in. This is our in. Now, being that I'm not really a Shrita guy, I think, I think I'm going to carve out a Kamitsa niche. I think this is going to be my... Also, it doesn't sound, it's not so complicated, right? I feel like, and, and we'll say, this is your take it to the base. Amikdash. Become proficient in either Kamitsa or Shrita, and then you could be the Talmud Chacham. You could become the person who goes in and teaches Kohanim. Now, once you're the Rebbe of Kohanim, Bepashtos, Bepashtos, that's like a backstage pass, right? I'm saying, right, you've got VIP, right? You, you, in other words, okay, you still can't go in, you're not allowed to go in, but at least you have a seat at the table, right? At least, again, you're there. So something really to think about. So the Gemara goes right there. The Gemara says, Amar Rabbah, Amar Interesting enough, both say, those sofrin, who were responsible ultimately again for fixing Sifrei Torah would also take their salary from the Machzis Ashakel. Amrav Nachman, Amrav, Nashima Argos beparochos beparochos. Noteless scharm mitrumas alishka. Women who weave curtains, bepashtos curtains for the base hamikdash, they also go ahead and take their salary from the Machzis Ashakel. Vani Omer mekachim be the kabbais. However, Rav Nachman says, I I disagree. I think they actually take it from be the kabbais. So remember again in the base hamikdash. There are different accounts. There's Trumas Halishka, which is Machsas Hashagel. Then there's Bedekabais. What's Bedekabais? Upkeep and repairs. Two different accounts. So Rav Nachman says, I think that the women who take care of the curtains, I think that, that, that that's those salaries really come from Bedekabais. Because think about it, again, a curtain is part of the structure. Right? So the Maisa, again, that should come from Bedekabais, not from Machsas Hashagel. To which the Gemara says... Why? Because essentially, I will say, where do you put a wall? Where, where do you put a curtain? Right? If you weren't putting a curtain, what would go there? What would go there? A door, a wall. So therefore, by definition, that's So I will say, the women who weave the curtains, and suddenly again, Garmu, the Garmu family, I will say, the Garmu family knew the secret to making. Proper lechem upon him, right? Let's remember again, this was Mesechus Tainus. We saw this, right? Remember again, they knew how to, the, the lechem upon him was a U-shape, U-shape, and they, know how, they knew how to bake it and to remove it without it collapsing. The Avatinas family 
knew the secret of Kitoris, specifically, they knew the identity of the secret ingredient, which was called Ma'ale Ashan. Ma'ale Ashan, which caused this, right, the smoke to rise in a straight pillar. So they were paid for their services. They took their, they took their salary from Truma Salishka. So this is Kashan of Nachman. Because Rav Nachman said that the women who weave the, the curtains should get paid from the Kabayis. Here it's quite clear they're getting from Achsa Shagel. We'll say first wide line, Hasam Bidabavi. So we'll say it depends ultimately, again, what type of curtain that we're talking about. There were different types of curtains. There were curtains that served as doors and then curtains that, that, were, that were more decorative in nature. Curtains that serve as doors definitely are paid from Bedek Habayis because those are, we'll call it structural versus we'll call it more decorative curtains were paid from Shumas Halishka. There are 13 curtains in the base of Mikdash. So the Mikdash I'm sorry. Shiva connected Shiva Sharim, seven by the seven gates. One by the entrance of the Heichal. One at the entrance of the Ulam. Beis Bidvir, two by the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Beis Kinegdan Bali, and two in the upper stories as well. And I will say again, not all curtains are created the same. Some curtains literally served as entranceways. So those, the Gemara posits, the making and creation of those were paid from Bedek HaBayis because they're quote-unquote called structural versus others, specifically let's say by the Kodesh Kodesh, which may have been more decorative, ultimately again come out of the Machsis HaShakel. Incredible. So turn out, turn out, get ready for this. Nashim HaMagadlos Benehem Lepara. So it was actually an incredible game. We've actually seen this before. So we'll say, so the Gemara says as follows. We saw this in Masech Soka. Women who raised their children to perform the service of para aduma. Now, I will say, now what is this talking about? Take a look at Rashi. This, is, this we don't have time for it, but we have, it requires a little bit of explanation, which is beautiful. So we'll say, let me give you this outside. There was, if you remember again, one of the most one of the most dramatic machloksim by para aduma is as follows: We hold that even a tvul yom. Which means someone who became what's it's full yom, a man, a person becomes tummy, and then goes to the mikvah, but still requires what herav shemesh. We paskin that a tvul yom is permitted to do paraduma. The tzedukim, those who did not believe in Torah Shabbat, fundamentally rejected this. Rejected this. One of the ways in which we publicly repudiated the tzedukim was there was a this is crazy. The kohen who was doing the paraduma, we made him tummy. Took him to the mikvah, and we only allowed a kohen who was a tzvul yom to go ahead and do paraduma, which, if you think about it, is like wild, wild. But we did this in order to publicly repudiate the position of the tzdukim. What was the concern? Rashi points out the concern is people will then come to be mekel, come to be mekel in what? In all other aspects of paraduma. So what we did is, in order to offset, in order in order to go ahead and prevent people from mekel paraduma, we were ridiculously machmir in every other area of para aduma. One of the overwhelming chumras, say is that the children, right? We use children who, to draw the water, children who never came in contact with any type of tumah. Now, how would you go ahead and find the child who never came in contact with any type of tumah? So Rashi points out over something amazing. These were children who were raised in, 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 in literally separate cities. If you look at Rashi, Makalos Spinei Lepara, Bechatseros Habanuos Bislam Biushlaim, they were 
raised, not cities, in courtyards in Yerushalayim. And these courtyards say, were raised on elevated platforms so that they were built on elevated platforms so there would be no chashash of any type of tumah, right? There's no dead bodies. And even if there is a dead body below it, there was a space in order to contain the tumah. These children were essentially raised in, in isolation. When I say isolation, not by themselves, with their mothers, with their mothers, away from contact with any type of Tumah. So back to the Gemara, because we'll, we'll, we'll look at Rashi on your own. So, who supported these kids and their mothers? So that money came from the Machzitz HaShagel. Abishalom HaShagel says, no, no, the rich women of Yerushalayim supported these women and their children. So we'll say, so these, these children and their mothers, right, the mothers would go to give birth in these isolated courtyards in Yerushalayim that were built separate and distinct from any type of Tumah. Okay, who's supporting them? So first opinion says they were supported from the half shekel. Second opinion says, no, there were actually other rich women in Yerushalayim who took upon themselves to support these women and their sons. What about clay shares? Service utensils. Service utensils. These are specifically utensils that are used on the outer Mizbeach, right? The outer Mizbeach is a stone Mizbeach, right? Mizbeach, Avadim is a stone Mizbeach that's ultimately covered in gold. So now we have to make service utensils. What fund do the service utensils come from? Can, right? So do they come from temple upkeep? Do we say, So we can say, listen, that Mizbeach, Rabbi said, remember again, was attached to the ground. In other words, it was heavy, it was big, and it was built. So do we say that, listen, since the Mizbeach itself, Rabbi said, remember again, the Mizbeach itself, upkeep for the Mizbeach came from the Bedek Habayis Fund. So do we say that just like upkeep for the Mizbeach came from the Bedek Habayis Fund, so to what? So to what? The utensils also came from the Bedek Habayis Fund. Oh, Sorech Karbaninu, or maybe not. Maybe we view say, the utensils are part and parcel of the offering up of the karbonos. Karbonos come, well, remember again, all communal offerings come from what? The machzis ashakel. And therefore, perhaps the utensils should also come from machzis ashakel. So, we'll say, so an interesting shayla, an accounting shayla, an accounting shayla, from which funds do we pay for the service utensils for the outer mizbeach? Is it like since the mizbeach itself comes from bedekabayis? So too, the utensils come from Bedek Temple Upkeep Fund, or no, the utensils are there for the Karbanos. Karbanos come from, 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 from Trumas Alishka, Machsis Ashakel, and therefore the service utensils also come from Machsis Ashakel. Amrale, a Nasin element Trumas Alishka. Ultimately, again, they only come, they only come, excuse me, the service utensils come from the Machsis Ashakel. Okay, Eisve, the Gmarri Zekasha, so we'll say it's very interesting. So they collected money, they collected money, and from the leftover monies, from the leftover monies that they brought before the king, and before the Kirashi says, So we'll say, this is a pause, like this is talking about the days of Yehoash. And in the days of Yehoash, they did a massive a capital campaign. Capital campaign to go ahead and refurbish the base of Mikdash. They had leftover money. And what did they do with the leftover money? They used it ultimately again via Su Kalim. 
They made utensils. So what does this sound like? What does it sound like? That they're using Bedek Habayis money to make utensils for the Beis HaMikdash. This contradicts what we just said before, because ultimately, again, well, good. This seems to indicate that, that, that utensils are made from, from Bedek Habayis and not from Maxis HaShakel Fun. So the Gemara Amrlei, so he said to him, he said to him, the Akariyach Ksuve lo Akariyach Nevi. Obviously, whoever taught you Ksuvim didn't teach you Navi. Okay? It's true. Sigmar says, Ah, lo Hashem sefos. The Pasuk says, ultimately again, you shall not, Pasuk is quoting from, quoting from Malachim, right? Ah, lo Hashem sefos, ki yitnuhu. So the Pasuk says, you shall not go ahead and use the money for instruments, rather again to use it for ose malacha. Ihachi, kasher kray dadi. If that's the case, the Pasukim themselves are contradicting each other. Lo so says like this, there's a difference between a collection that was done for Bedek Habayis and then yields leftover monies. Right? What happens if the capital, capital campaign has leftover money? Leftover money. What should we do with the leftover funds? So in that case, maybe you can go ahead and use it for Klei race. That's different than when we talk about, again, a primary collection, what it could be used for. So I ultimately, again, but even one second, if money was collected for, for Bedek Habayis, and now ultimately, again, there's leftover funds, what gives you the right to use that for something other than Bedek Habayis? So we'll say, so this is actually interesting. In general, Bosa, there's an interesting halachic discussion. When you collect money for a particular tzedakah, let's say you collect money for a particular need, and then there's leftover monies, leftover monies, does the money have to be allocated for that need, or can it be allocated towards something else? So Bosa, in general, we pass in money collected for a particular need, if there is extra money, that money can be allocated to a different cause. So the Gemara is suggesting the same thing applies to Vedic Habayis. If you collect money for Bedek Habayis, and then it turns out, okay, you, you, got, you did what you needed, and now there's extra money, that extra money can be allocated towards other things. That's why in the Navi, in the case of Yoash, they collected money for Bedek Habayis, Bar Hashem. They had extra money after that. So what did they decide to do? They decided to allocate it ultimately to Klisharis. But I will say it's possible that under normal circumstances, Klisharis comes from where? Comes from where? Shumas Alishka. Machzis because it's considered to be part of the carbonic process. But if you collect it for Bedek Habayis and now there's extra money, you could go ahead and use that extra money for Klisharis. Incredible. So the Margot's Vaiter. So we'll say service utensils for the Kabbalos comes from the leftover money. So the Gemara says, We'll say, what's an example of money which has leftovers? We'll say, this is the first Master Shekel. Why was we learn this? We learn this in Shkalim. Remember, the way it works, we'll say, for Shkalim is how? Is you do a half Shekel collection. I will say, comes Rosh Chodesh Nisan, you no longer use the Shkalim from last year. You only use the new Shkalim. So the Gemara says over here, which money was used ultimately for service utensils? Sha'ara Kesef, the money which has leftovers. There's only one money, right? One type of fund, which is regulated by the laws of leftovers. And that's what? 
the Machsas Ashagel. So from here you see that Klishari's service utensils was made from Machsas Ashagel. So the Gemara says, Ve'emushirayim gufayu, maybe it literally means the actual leftover monies themselves, that that's used for Klishari's, Kida Amarava, Ha'ola, Ola Rishona. Just like when the Pasuk says, Ha'ola, it refers to the first Ola, so so to Achanami, Ha'kesef, Kesef Rishon. Hakesef Rabosai means the primary money. So it doesn't mean you use leftover monies for Klisharis. What it means is the primary money collected from that year, i.e., Machsis Ashekel, is used for Trumas, is used for Klisharis. So therefore, Rabosai, the way the Gemara seems to be coming out over here is that Halacha Lamaisa, Klisharis, service utensils, comes from Machsis Ashekel, not from Bede Kabayis. The only exception might be when, if you did a Bede Kabayis collection, and what? And what? There's some money left over, then Enoch Nami and Akis, you use it for Klishar. So basically, when I say Kasha, Haktaras, Fachal Kabaras at Zibor, Kitores, money for Kitores, and any communal offerings comes from Maxis Ashakel. Mizbeach Razov, but ultimately, again, upkeep of the golden altar, Levona, frankincense, Klishari service utensils, Boin Mimosar Nesachim. This comes about say, from Mosar Nesachim. Now, Mosar Nesachim, we're going, we'll see in tomorrow's daf, is a separate type of fund. Mizbech ha'ola, halishkos v'azaros, b'amikash ha'be'edekabayis. The mizbech ha'ola, which was the outer mizbech, the large altar, lishkos, upkeep of the chambers, upkeep of the courtyards, all come from the be'edekabayis funds. Chutz l'chomas ha'azara, b'amishar ha'lishkos. So we'll say, well, the, uh, anything outside of the walls of the courtyard comes from the leftover funds. Zoe Sheshani, no, this is what we learned. We'll say, we'll have to stop over here for today. We'll pick up again with that piece, but I will say, but I just want to point out, we thought we left off saying that ultimately service utensils are funded by the Machsis HaShakel, are funded by the Machsis HaShakel. It turns out that now, maybe there's a bit of a steer. It sounds like now, according to this price, so, that service utensils are funded by something called Mosar Nesachim, the, the leftover Nesachim. What that means, how we reconcile it, and how Lachalamaisa, and Yerat Hashem will resolve tomorrow. We'll say, Shkoyach.